The following sermon by Pastor Rick Holland is brought to you by Mission Road Bible Church. For more information, visit missionroadbiblechurch.com. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs 27. We're taking a little break from Romans last week and this week in our study of that book expositionally and looking into the book of Proverbs this morning. I've entitled this message, Beginning a New Year with Christ. I'm usually not one for a lot of resolutions. I'm usually not one for special sermons on special days. But it seems like every year at the end, between Christmas and New Year's, we begin thinking about things. We begin thinking toward things. We begin reviewing things. All you have to do is flip on the television. There's some review of some top ten of some news or sports or something everywhere you turn. Today is going to be less of a pure exposition and more of just an extension of pastoral care, really thinking about what we should do, could do, ought to do, and thinking about letting go of 2013 and embracing 2014. We live under the illusion that we have way more control over our lives than we actually do. Nowhere is that affirmed more than in Proverbs 27, the wisest man in the world who wrote a volume of wisdom for all generations says this in verse 1 of Proverbs 27. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring Solomon is saying, don't brag, don't say, I know what's going to happen tomorrow when you really don't know. Now, any chat with anyone in this room would affirm that that's our experience, right? Some days go relatively as we planned, but a lot of days happen way differently than we would have ever imagined. There's a website that you can navigate to that is sure to make you think It's sure to make you ponder in a deeper way than normal. The website is called deathclock.org. This is a site in which you can enter some basic information and some algorithm then spits out a projected day on which you are supposed to die. So last night, (laughs) I entered my info. And this is what I found out. Based on the website's calculations, BMI, all sorts of stuff, they, they uh, um, asked me, and uh, by the way, it's totally anonymous. They didn't ask me for my name or anything else. I am supposed to die on, drumroll, Monday. It's interesting, no, it's a Monday. At least I get to preach that last day. <laughs> August 2nd, which is another interesting feature, 2049. I was happy to see that had so many years left. In other words, according to this website, I will live to be 86 years, 6 months, and 30 days. That gives me, I did the math, 12,998 days left on this planet, according to deathclock.org. Now, we know that there's no uh, truth to this. It's just based on statistics, but it is based on averages. And what it does is it actually makes you stop and think, there is a day. I wonder which day it will be. 
which day of the week on which I will die? What day of the month that I will die? What year I will die? What will my tombstone read? What if you knew the day of your death? What if you knew the day and the hour of your own death? Or what if you knew the day that something tragic would happen? Some tragic information was going on on the other end of a phone call and, and you knew that was coming. How would you plan? Proverbs 27.1 underlines the uncertainty of life with a reality that is not so obvious to us. And that's this. We're not in that much control of our lives. Read it again. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Now, the implication of that statement is that God does know what a day will bring forth. God is very aware of every day. He has ordained every second of every person's life. And God has never one time in his eternal existence been surprised. Think about that. If you knew that you were going to have a heart attack, let's just say next Thursday, wouldn't you get to the doctor today and make sure that you were at the emergency room on that day? Well, five, four, three, two, I know where I want to be that day. If you knew that you were going to be tempted by a besetting sin tomorrow at 9 a.m., I hope you would do something to make sure you weren't in close proximity to that temptation. And if you knew that today was the last time you would speak to a loved one before they slipped into eternity, what kind of difference would that make in your conversation? This proverb is very clear. We don't know what a day brings forth. Solomon has instructed us that we do not know what God has us for any day, but he does. Proverbs 16, 9 says this. The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. We are under the illusion that we plan our way, but God is superintending every part of our existence. James wrote this. James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, tomorrow or today we will go to do such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow, James says. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say your life. He, he personalizes it. He says, you are just a vapor. And you appear for a little while, then you vanish away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. It's not calling for a kind of pacifism that says, well, I'm going to eat this burger if the Lord wills. I don't have any signs, so maybe I'll go hungry. He's saying that all of our plans are submissive to God's change of direction in his providential steps. In each of our lives. Here at the beginning of the year then. I think it is appropriate to stop. And to think seriously about the days ahead. And the more we do that. I think the better we will be. More specifically how what we believe. Drives how we live. Make no mistake. 
What you believe about God, what you believe about God and his word is the greatest determiner of how you live your life of any part of your existence. Every moment you live, every decision you make, every word you speak, every conversation you have, every place you drive, every turn you make, is all a reflection of what you believe about God. Everything is theology. Theology is life. Now, I want to give you a little bit of an insight into what we're going to do this morning that, that is highly unusual. I am going to extremely plagiarize J.C. Ryle. I guess if I'm saying that, I'm not plagiarizing. I'm going to absolutely borrow, and I'm going to quote him when, it, when, it, when it's his exact words. But he uh, preached a sermon uh, years ago, uh, over 120 years ago. And the sermon was titled, A New Year's Sermon, Are You Ready? And just that simple phrase, are you ready, launched me into a a ton of directions and to think about my own life. Am I ready for this coming year? For tomorrow? But it's appropriate because everyone seems to stop and pause and look back and look forward and really think about New Year's resolutions and how we're thinking about life. What we want to change, what we want to remain the same. I looked up again last night, um, the top 10 resolutions for those who've registered them for this year, and you know what the number one has been for the last 20 plus years? Lose weight. Yeah. Where does it go? when you Anyway, um, in the beginning of the sermon, J.C. Ryle, who's that great uh, Church of England preacher in the uh, later part of the 1800s, said this, I ask you a plain question, quote, At the beginning of this new year, are you ready? It's a solemn thing to part company with the old year. I love that. It's a solemn thing to part company with the old year. It's still a more solemn thing to begin a new one. It's like entering into a dark passage. We we know not what we may meet before the end. All before us is uncertain. We know not what a day may bring forth, much less what may happen in a year. Dear reader, he says, are you ready? End quote. Let me ask you that another way. Do you have a theology that can bear the weight of anything? Think about that. Does your theology, do your theological presumptions, do your theological beliefs, does what you believe about God, is what your mind, uh, how, is how your mind informed by God's word, God's word strong enough that no matter what happens, you will be able to sustain that experience with faithfulness to God? Are you in the same position Job was who began losing everything important to him in a matter of seconds and in the end said, though he slay me, I'll still trust him. How strong is your theology? This morning I want to ask you some questions that Ryle poses and I've added a few of my own. And if you want to jot these down or think about it, we're going to ask some questions. Are you ready? He says, are you ready? Let's ask some questions. Are you ready, number one? Are you ready for spiritual growth? 
Are you ready to grow spiritually? Simple question. What's your plan to grow spiritually this year? I wish we could have lunch one after the other, each of us uh, uh, with each other, and just to ask and answer, what is your plan, what is your strategy to grow spiritually this year? Do you have a strategy? Have you thought about it? What's your plan for development, personal spiritual development, personal spiritual improvement? What you believe about the Bible, let me personalize it. What you believe about your Bible determines what you do with your Bible. That's the easy way to say it. Let's flip it around. What you do with your Bible reveals what you believe about your Bible. If we believe, think about this, if we believe that this book is God's specific, holy, unalterable, inerrant, inspired, infallible word to mankind and holds all things pertaining to life and godliness and provides our only source of satisfaction and joy and gives us sustenance to endure any trial, wouldn't that be something you would want to read? Is this the read the Bible more sermon, Rick? Yes, it is. Caught red-handed. 2 Peter 3.18 says simply, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Where do you find grace and knowledge? In God's word. So let me ask you, what's your plan for Bible reading? Um, We have a meeting scheduled uh, today with our family. We're going to lay out some Bible reading plans and and, uh, talk about what we're going to do with uh, each of us, each of the boys and Kim and me. What what are we going to do this next year? How can we hold each other accountable? What is your plan? We have, what, two days? Have you thought about it? Now, let, let me just say a few things about Bible reading plans. We've talked about this before. The Bible doesn't say You have to read it in a year or even every year. Neither does the Bible say you can't read it 10 times this year. Question is, are you reading the Bible consistently at all? There's two ways to motivate Bible reading. The first is guilt. That's pretty easy. God said this is word. If you don't read it, don't you feel sad and you feel bad? That's... To me, that's less of a motivation than to think about the fact of what it is and what I get from reading God's word. Even the most difficult book in the Bible to to understand by its own definition, the book of Revelation says in the first chapter, if you just simply read it, you'll receive blessing. This is God's revelation, which means this is God in 10,000 ways telling us Who he is, what he's like, and what he expects. That's great news. We don't have to guess with God. Do you have a plan for reading your Bible today, tomorrow, beginning January 1st? How about prayer? Talking about spiritual growth. Do you have a plan for prayer? I think this year I'm going to start putting it on my calendar in my appointments God, that'll freak people out when they're looking through my calendar. He had a meeting with God yesterday. You, we, make, we make appointments with people, don't we? We make commitments with people. Do you have a commitment to sit and talk to 
God. Hebrews 10 tells us that the veil between God and man has been torn down. We have... We have access to walk into the throne room of God, the Holy of Holies, unmitigated, unhindered because of Christ. And Philippians 4 says to tell him everything that's on our hearts. What what an advantage. The man or the woman who lives life without regular prayer is a living testimony to their own pride. If we live life without going to God, what are we saying to God? I'm okay without you. Check in with you when I need you. C.S. Lewis has a famous uh, um, essay called The Problem of Pleasure. And when she says, the problem is not pain, the problem is pleasure. When we have problems, we go to God. When we have pleasure, we tend to forget God. How about spiritual disciplines? Meditation on scripture, memorizing of scripture, fasting. How about the the simple task of reading? Don't don't develop Christian classics in your your library. You know what a Christian classic is, right? It's a book that everyone has and no one's read. Don't don't collect Christian classics. Read books. And I know what some of you are saying. Well, I don't read. If I, pet peeve, I'll try not to get on the soapbox. If I hear one more person say, well, I just don't read. Well, then start. Well, I can't read very much without going to sleep. Then read a sentence. And then read another one tomorrow. And another one tomorrow. We have no excuses but to read. And I I would encourage you. Maybe we'll talk about this on a Sunday night uh, in in the next few weeks. Uh, read, Read living people, but read dead guys. Read dead guys. Read guys who are a long time ago... Puritans, Spurgeon, older people of another generation who basically used a better economy of words than the people today do. Are you ready for spiritual growth? Let me ask you this. Are you ready for trials? Are you ready for the trials that will come, not might come, that will come in 2014? I've told you over and over, and I'll tell you probably over and over again, and it's, it's said tongue-in-cheek, I believe God's word is perfect and infallible, should never be touched. But if I could change one word in the Bible, I know what it would be. James chapter 1, consider it all joy, my brethren. When you encounter various trials, don't you wish that said if? If, perchance, maybe on the off occasion, you might have a trial. What does he say? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when, there's certain, when you encounter various multicolored, all sorts of different kinds of trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. I'm not the prophet or the son of a prophet, but I can stand on the authority of God's word. Are you ready for this? And tell you, tell you this. Ready? You are going to have some bad times this year, some trials. Some difficulties, some things that are outside of your pleasure set, outside of your desire zone. Are you ready? Do you have a theology that's ready for the coming trials? Do you have a theology that will bear the weight of the difficulties that are promised to come? Why are they promised to come? For two reasons. They make us let go of our reliance on this planet and this world as our ultimate joy 
It just doesn't bear the weight of satisfaction. And secondly, James says those become ways that God perfects us to be more like his son. Ryle writes this. So penetrating. Are you ready for sickness, he says? You cannot expect to always be well. What a statement. You cannot expect to always be well. You have a body fearfully and wonderfully made. It is awful to think how many diseases may possibly assail it. Now remember, he lived in a day before antibiotics. Strange, I love this quote, strange that a harp of a thousand strings should keep in tune so long. Basically saying our body's like a harp with a thousand strings. They're not going to stay in tune forever. Pain and weakness are a hard trial. They can bow down the, the, uh, bow down the strong man and make him like a child. They can weary the temper and exhaust the patience and make men cry in the morning. He goes on. Are you ready for affliction? Man, says scripture, is born to sorrow. This witness is true. Your property may be taken from you. Your riches may make themselves wings and flee away. Your friends may fail you. Your children may disappoint you. Your servants may deceive you. Your character may be assailed. Your conduct may be misrepresented. Troubles, annoyances, vexations, anxieties may surround you on every side like a host of armed men. Wave upon wave may burst over your head. You may feel worn and worried and crushed to the dust. Dear reader, if affliction comes upon you, are you ready? Next week we begin a series on trials. Paul in the book of Romans, after he's talked about justification by faith, basically says... If everything is so great in heaven between us and God, what about when it's not so great here on earth? And he'll address that. We're going to deal with this head on for a few weeks. But let me ask you, do you have a theology for suffering? Don Carson. All you have to do, he says, all you have to do is live long enough and you will suffer greatly. Do you have a theology for trials and difficulties? Are are, are you ready if they come? No. Are you ready for when they come? Three. Are you ready for loss? Are you ready for financial loss? Are you ready for the loss of a friend? Through a conflict? Through a move? Through a death? Ralph says this, are you ready for bereavements? And I hadn't thought about this. It's very interesting. Bereavements are seeing the people we love die. I mean, think about this. Is it possible that in a room this size, that all of us, say it this way, that none of us, no person here will go to a funeral this year of someone we love and know? I'd say it's utterly impossible. He says this, are you ready for bereavements? No doubt there are those in the world that love you. There are those whose names are graven on your heart and around whom your affections are entwined. There are those 
who are the light of your eyes and the very sunshine of your existence, but they are all mortal. Any one of them may die this year before the daisies blossom again. Any one of them may be lying in the tomb. Your Rachel may be buried. Your Joseph may be taken from you. Your dearest idol may be broken. Bitter tears and deep mourning may be your portion. Before next December, you may feel terribly alone. Dear reader, if any bereavement comes upon you, are you ready? Do you have a theology of life and death? Do you have... A theology for temptation. Are you ready for temptation? I can promise you this. The enemy of your soul, Satan and his demons, are making strategic plans for you at this moment for your demise. They're very good planners. They don't sleep. They've had thousands of years of observations to know exactly what traps to lay before us. Are you ready for the temptations that are coming? Are you ready that... For the fact that walking out of this building are temptations. There are temptations attacking your mind right now. It may uh, be news to you, but Satan is clever, but he's limited. He only has three arrows he can fling at your soul. Only three. 1 John 2, 14 to 16 says, all that's in the world, that's everything, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Those are the only three. Every temptation you and I can face finds itself categorically in one of those three or a combination of those three. Are you ready to recognize those? As John Owen says, do you know what associates in your heart Satan has? 1 Corinthians 10, 12, though, tells us this. There's no temptation that's overtaking you, but such as is what? Common to man. You can never say to God or to anyone else, it's, it's too much. No one else has suffered like this. No one else has been tempted like this. I am unique. I am alone. I have been tempted beyond that which I am able. The verse says, it's not beyond what you're able. You're able to escape. He provides a way of escape. And that way of escape is through the means of grace that God has given in gospel truth. Said another way, are you ready to fight sin? Do you have your boxing gloves on? Because I can assure you the enemy does. And he will sucker punch you every day of your life. He doesn't wait till you're ready. I used to wrestle in high school and college. And uh, when you come out on the mat to wrestle, um, you shake hands with, with your opponent and the referee looks at the score uh, table and makes sure they're ready and he looks at you and he looks at your opponent and then he blows the whistle. No one starts until you're ready. Satan doesn't wait till you're ready. Your flesh doesn't wait till you're ready. When you wake up every morning, you have a hungry devil sitting on your chest pointing his finger in your face And saying, I dare you to be holy today. Are you ready for that kind of battle? You're already in the battle. Are you ready for temptation? Let me ask you this. Are you ready for Jesus to come back? Are you ready for Christ's return? 
Let me ask you, first of all, do you believe that Jesus Christ in the flesh will return to this planet and say mine? And before he comes to this planet to say mine, he will come and rapture believers and bring them to himself in the air before a a seven-year tribulation starts. Are you ready for Jesus to call your name at any moment? Are you ready? Do you believe that he's coming, first of all? Do you believe that he's going to come? Peter instructed the believers, he says, you know, in 2 Peter 3, you know, people will start doubting that Jesus comes. They'll believe in this uniformitarianism. Well, yesterday will be like today, today like tomorrow. Everything keeps going like it is. Big yawn. Where is the return of Christ? I I grew up in the, uh, my first theological impressions were made in the 60s. And uh, I saw more cheesy rapture movies than you can imagine. I ran home scared to death. I, would, uh, I remember when I would run home, I would get home, no one was there. I've been left behind before anyone wrote a book with that title. <laughs> I shouldn't tell you this, but one of my greatest, my funnest stories about my mentor, John MacArthur, is he was at Bob Jones University for a semester, only stayed there for a semester. You'll know why in just a minute. There was a guy who was tortured and terrorized about the return of Christ. He couldn't believe that Jesus was, was going to return. He was afraid he was going to return. And so they set this deal up on his dorm room where everybody left clothes like they would have been if they were raptured. In the hallway, in the beds, and he came home late one night. And they had the one guy, the guy walks in his room, and this guy goes outside the door and blasts his trumpet. And he walks out, and all these clothes are there. And he's, I've been left, I've been left. I used to think that way all the time. It's kind of funny, but do you believe that that could happen today? There are those, remember I said I grew up in the 60s, my first theological impressions were in the 60s where people were saying, well, you have to, this has to happen in the Middle East and this is in Israel and this is in Gog and Magog and Russia before Jesus can return. Really? Why then did Paul and Peter say in their day, look for the return of Christ if all that has to happen first? Nothing, listen, nothing needs to happen in the world for Jesus to return. He can return before we say amen today. Eschatology matters a lot. Can I go back to... J.C. Ryle, this is what he writes. Are you ready for the second coming of Christ? He will come again into this world as surely as he came the first time, 1,800 years ago, you see when he wrote. So surely he will come a second time. He will come to reward all his saints who have believed in him and confessed him on this earth. He will come to punish all of his enemies, the careless and the ungodly, the impenitent and the unbelieving. He will come very suddenly at an hour when no man thinks. As a thief comes in the night, he will come in terrible majesty. What a great phrase. In terrible majesty. In the glory of his father with the holy angels, a flaming fire shall go before him. The dead shall be raised. The judgment shall be set. The book shall be opened. Some shall be exalted into heaven. And many very many shall be cast down to hell. The time for repentance will be past. 
Many shall cry, Lord, Lord, open to us. But find the door of mercy closed before them forever. After this, there will be no change. Dear reader, if Christ should come the second time this year, are you ready? What if? What if this is the Maranatha? Come, Lord, quickly. Wouldn't it be great, Christian, if the Lord came this year? Is that something that that your soul greets with joy and anticipation, or is that something that you gulp and swallow hard and say, "I, I, I am not ready for that moment." You knew this was coming. Are you ready to die? Are you ready for death? Like I said, I wonder which, I wonder what my tombstone will read. Rick Holland, Richard Lloyd Holland, born January 3rd, 1963, died, and a date will follow that dash. Philippians 1.21, we love Philippians 1.21, but we usually only think about the half of it. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die, okay, really? Is it really? Those work in tandem, they work in conjunction. If living is Christ, then dying is gain. But dying is only gain if living is Christ. I told you I was going to quote. Back to Mr. Ryle again. Are you ready for death, he says? It must come someday. It may come this year. You cannot live always. What a simple statement. Do you know that? Do you recognize that? You cannot live always. This very year may be your last. You have no freehold in this world. You have not so much as even a lease. You are nothing better than a tenant in this world at God's will. Your last sickness may come upon you and give you notice to quit. The doctor may visit you and exhaust his skill over your case. Your friends may sit by your bedside and look graver and graver every day. You may feel your own strength gradually wasting and find something saying within, I shall not come down from this bed but shall die. You may see the world slipping from beneath your feet. All your schemes and plans suddenly stopped short. This sentence, wow. You may feel yourself drawing near to the coffin and the grave and the worm and an unseen world and eternity and God. Dear reader, if death should come upon you this year are you ready? I saw an interview with someone on CNN a few weeks ago. It's a very popular uh, preacher in our world, and he said the church uh, historically has talked way too much about sin and death when we ought to be talking about living and life. Can I say nothing is farther from the truth? You will never live better than when you're ready to die. Your priorities will never be in a better order and position than if you are anticipating your own mortality. My historical hero, Jonathan Edwards, 
Ninth resolution. Resolved to think much on all occasions. Listen to that. To think a lot all the time. To think much on all occasions of my own dying and the common circumstances which attend death. You know what he's saying by that? How many ways there are to die? You say, wow, that's heavy. Listen, that's grace that we would think about death. Here's the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 9 makes this statement that's really bizarre. It says, understand, Solomon says, that the days of darkness will be longer than the days of light. And if you read the context, what he's saying is this profound statement. Are you ready for this? You will be dead way longer than you were ever alive. It's a profound thought. Shouldn't we be living for the longer time? Lastly, are you ready for church involvement? Oh, Pastor Rick, that's so self-serving. No, I'm not trying to serve myself, but I'm trying to serve Christ's bride. Christianity was never intended by God to be a solo effort. It takes a local church to aid your soul into maturity, and God intends that you are involved in the lives of others for the same. Look, let me just tell you. We were talking as an elder group, elders and wives, uh, just two nights ago. And uh, someone said, my prayer for this year is that everyone who is a regular attender will become a member. And every member will get into a care group. That's a great prayer. That is a great prayer. Look, if you're not a member, why not? All membership is in the church is saying, I commit myself to this church and I commit myself to to the oversight of these leaders. That's all church membership is. We don't take your blood type. We don't get your social security number. It's a commitment to be a part of what God is doing here. Do you care for others? Do you, is your, do you have a plan for your church involvement? The great temptation of every church, at least in our generation, probably in previous generations as well, but at least in ours, the great temptation is to, is to think of church as an event that you come to, a building where you go, rather than an intricate connective tissue of relationships that we all share to motivate and move one another to be more like Jesus Christ. Finding and enjoying the joy that God intends from a healthy commitment to the local church. And by the way, if you're a member, if you become a member, if you get in a care group, I can assure you the closer you get to those of us at Mission Road Bible Church, the worse you'll see, not the better. You'll see glimpses. The only person you get closer to and they look better is Jesus. Come be a part of our solution to help one another be like Christ. And if you ever find that church that's perfect, will you let me know because I want to resign and go there with you. Speaking of church, I have to say this. I want to talk to some of you personally, but I know there's a lot of you who have not been baptized as a believer. Don't don't let 2014 slip by. Baptism is the easiest part of Christian obedience. The easiest one time you do it and it's done. 
I wish all my points of disobedience were one time you fix it and it's done. Uh, that's the easiest thing. You, you, if that's the case, swallow your pride, crucify the flesh, get baptized and move on, please. This morning is just a special time of attention given to self-examination. But can I say that what we've done this morning and just kind of stopping and thinking about life is what we're supposed to do every time we have communion. But what we do in communion is really a reflection of what we should do every day. Consider Christ. Examine ourselves. Your life is a gift. It is a gift. Your days, each one is a gift. Your hours are gifts from God. It's two paragraphs, but can I go back to Ryle again? He says this, he that is ready for the coming year has a ready savior. He has Jesus ever ready to help him. He lives the life of faith in the son of God. He has found out his own sinfulness and fled to Christ for peace. He has committed his soul and all its concerns to Christ's keeping. I love that. All my concerns committed to Christ's keeping. If he has bitter cups of affliction to drink, He knows that they are mixed by the hand that was nailed to the cross for his sins. Can I read that sentence again? If he has bitter cups of affliction to drink, he knows that those drinks are mixed together by the hand that was nailed to the cross for his sins. If he is called to die, he knows that the grave is the place where the Lord lay. If those whom he loves are taken away, he remembers that Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother and a husband who never dies. If the Lord should come again, he knows that he has nothing to fear. The judge of all will be that very Jesus who has washed away his sins. Happy is the man who can say with Hezekiah in Isaiah 38, the Lord was ready to save me. He that is ready, Ryle writes, has a home ready for him in heaven. The Lord Jesus has told him that he has gone to prepare a place for him, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, always awaits him. He has not yet come to his full inheritance. His best things are yet to come. He is not trying to live his best life now. That was me, not Ryle. He can bear sickness for yet a little time and he shall have a glorious body. He can bear losses and crosses for his choicest treasures are far beyond the reach of harm. He can bear disappointments for the springs of his greatest happiness can never be made dry. He can think calmly of death. It will open a door for him from the lower house to the upper chamber, even the presence of the king. He is immortal till his work is done. Don't you love that? He is immortal until his work is done. He can look forward to the coming of the Lord without without alarm. He knows that... They who are ready will enter in with him into the marriage supper of the Lamb. Happy is the man whose lodging is prepared for him in the kingdom of Christ.
Isn't that hopeful? It's a heavy sermon. It's a heavy thought. But it's all intended to generate hope. And hope is not found in this life of an eternal significance. Oh, we have things we hope for that bring us joy, but they always fade away. And that's by design so that we would only reach for that which is eternal. So, let me ask with Ryle, are you ready? Let's ask again, do you have a theology sufficient for all that will come this year? Do you have a theology that can bear the weight of everything that's going to happen to you in this coming year? Maybe a better question is, are you willing to get ready? How do I get ready? You read your Bible and you pray to your God and you're involved in his church. And things may not go better, but your heart will respond to them better. And then one day you will realize, for me to live is Christ. And what a great day it will be when I die, because that is measurable, eternal, joyful what? Gain. Are you ready to begin a new year with Christ? Can I just beg you, spend time with your spouse, spend time with your kids talking about some of these things. Are you ready? Even talking about the fact that we need a theology sufficient for the trials that are going to come. Let's get ready now for what we know is coming then. Knowing, as soon as I say that, there are people in this room who are in horrific trials today, right now, in this moment. 2014 didn't wait to bring them trials. They're sitting on our laps this morning. That's not bad news. That invites us in the good news that we have a God who knows, who cares, who sees, who supplies grace sufficient for anything for those who know his son and for those who seek him. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory, Paul says? Can I use a common metaphor in our day? We can spike the ball in the end zone against the devil and against death. Because for a Christian, in the end, we win. Every eye is wiped dry. Every joy completely fulfilled. Let's pray. It could be that some of the things that we talked about this morning that I said brought you fear. That's okay. That's a grace. It's good to be afraid of things for which you should be afraid. And God is the ultimate threat. Are you ready to meet him? Are you ready? Are you ready to meet the judge? Love what Jonathan Edwards says. The arrow that God shoots to end your life is already in the air. Are you ready for life? Are you ready for death? Are you ready for this year? Is your theology strong enough 
That's only answerable if you have committed your life to Jesus Christ because we don't have a good enough thinking. We don't have a good enough scheme to be able to do that. Only Christ and the gospel can. Please, if you don't know Christ, if you haven't committed your life to Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, I'm going to pray in a moment. And to my right, Steve and Debbie Schulte will be over our prayer room. Please run and don't walk. Get there quick. Talk to them. Talk to someone who can tell you how you might be saved today. Flee from the wrath to come. Father, impress on our hearts the gravity of life and death and the coming year and the past one. Help us to see the heaviness of these realities only to release that heaviness with the joy that nothing Nothing can steal the joy of one of your children. Inform us, instruct us, encourage us, build our theological foundations so that that will support anything the world will throw at us. Because we know that the world doesn't throw anything. Your providence is behind it all. We trust you, Father. We want to have faith in you, but help our lack of faith. Pray this because of your son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, let me tell you again that tonight there is no service. Enjoy some time. Maybe talk about some of these things with your family tonight, with your spouse, to get ready for this coming year. Our prayer room is open to the right. Please come and talk. Let us pray with you if there's anything we can. Have a great afternoon. I'll see you next year. You've been listening to a presentation of Mission Road Bible Church in Prairie Village, Kansas. For more information, visit missionroadbiblechurch.com.